We're going to get to that passage very shortly, but before we do, I have a photo to show you and a question to ask. It's quite dark, um, but this is the photo of two women at a bus stop, and the question I want to ask you is, have they come to the end of their journey? Are they about to start their journey, or are they in the middle of two journeys? Just have a chat to the person next to you. Give your best guess. Give your reason for your best guess, and then I'll give you the answer. Okay, okay, let's see what you've got. So how many of you think they are at the end of the journey? Please put your hands up. A couple of us. <laughs> how many of you think they're at the start of a journey? Put your hand up. Majority, and how many in the middle of two journeys? Ooh, good split there between start of journey and the middle of the journey. Well, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we've got, we've got some little clues here, haven't we? So um, you may not be able to see some of this. This is, uh, they're selling a car, this is in dollars. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and you may not be, be able to read some of this writing, but that looks like Spanish graffiti there as well. They're looking to the, their left. So does that mean that they're waiting for a bus that's coming from that direction? which that would seem to point to somewhere other than the UK at least. Maybe all of those facts together bubble down to somewhere like Ecuador in South America, where they have dollars, they speak Spanish, they drive on the right-hand side of the road, but we don't know. We don't know. We can only make our best guess based on the information. What has this got to do with Galatians, I hear you ask? What has this got to do with Galatians? <laughs> Well, <laughs> translators have the same, pro the same problem with certain texts in the Bible as we do, trying to interpret an image like this. And Galatians 6.6 6 is a perfect case in point, because it's not at all clear whether Paul is at the end of a section, at the start of a section, or in the middle of two sections. Now, if you've got the modern NIV in front of you, um, you'll see that verse 6 rounds off the previous paragraph. And in fact, Ellen preached on this last week, but she didn't include this verse. This is how it goes. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And then we have the next paragraph. But the 1984 translation of the New International Version looks like this. It's just been separated in between the paragraph before and the paragraph afterwards. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. 
and the New American Standard Bible has it right at the beginning of a new paragraph. Oh, yes, now, now we are getting, getting into the spirit of things. Um, and just by the way, because I can, I, can, I can tell you are all fascinated with this, as I am, which is a real, real thrill to me. Um, the little word that is translated nevertheless in our, in our church Bibles, two, two-letter Greek word, it can mean pretty much anything. It can mean but, and, nevertheless, so. And you may have noticed in the last two translations, there's no reference to it at all. You are interested in this, aren't you? I, I'm a linguist, so I, I naturally find this kind of stuff interesting. But there is also a more serious uh, point to this. Some people worry about why our various translations differ. And part of the answer is that although we believe that the word of God in its original languages, Hebrew and Greek and a smattering of Aramaic, were inspired by God, our translations are fallible. Even today, 2,000 years on, we're still learning bits and pieces about the times, the culture, how language was used in those days, which is why our translations evolve. And this also explains why we are starting um, in what, according to our church Bibles, appears to be a rather random place at the end of a paragraph. Because actually, um, I'm going with the suggestion that what Paul is doing here is not finishing up an idea, but actually developing a new one. And this idea is this, that we reap what we sow. So chapter six and verse seven, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. Last week, Ellen spoke on the previous section in Galatians and talked about those lovely verses in um, Galatians 6 about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we get that kind of fruit? We have to sow to the Spirit. She spoke about the fruit of restoring someone to faith. How do we get that kind of fruit? We have to sow gentleness and care for other people's souls. We reap what we sow. If a farmer sows barley seed, he will reap barley. If he sows a lot of seed, all things being equal, he will reap a big harvest. If he sows just a few seeds, he'll reap a small harvest. This is the law of life. We know this to be true, don't we? If I attempted a marathon in my current physical shape, (laughs) I wouldn't get to the end of the road, probably, (laughs) let alone the end of the marathon, because I haven't sown the exercise that's necessary, the diet that's necessary to get myself into the shape I would need to be in to run a marathon. You reap what you sow. Don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Just touch your nose for a moment. That's lovely, you're looking great. And then just tilt your head back slightly. Wonderful. That makes you feel better, doesn't it? The word mocked here is derived... (laughs) It's a serious point, I don't just do these things. The word mocked here is derived from the word for a nose and literally means to turn the nose up. So what Paul is saying here is that 
um, don't be deceived. You cannot turn your nose up at God. You cannot mock God. You will reap what you sow. So Paul gives three examples of what we should sow. And the first is this, that we should sow partnership in the gospel, verse 6. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Paul wants his hearers to financially support those who are dedicating themselves to teaching the word of God. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples on a mission trip, he told them, when you enter a house, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. So the disciples were sharing the good news, the gospel, and their hearers were sharing board and lodging, partnership in the gospel. Paul repeats this idea in another one of his letters to Corinthians. He says, if we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? A healthy church is a community of believers who voluntarily give their time and skills and money and so forth for each other. For example, we do a fantastic work amongst children and young people in this church, headed up by Andy and Victoria, but it would be impossible to do what we do without an army of volunteers, not just Sunday mornings, but throughout the week to make those things possible. But where individuals serve the church instead of earning money by working elsewhere, it's right and proper for churches to support those individuals financially. And that's what Paul is getting at here. We are sowing partnership in the gospel. You reap the benefits, your children reap the benefits of being led, taught, pastored, taken on weekends away, and so on and so forth. And we, the staff, benefit uh, by being able to give the very best um, to what we do. You're grateful to God for what we do. We know that because you tell us. And we're grateful to God that you enable us to do what we do by releasing us in this way. We are sowing partnership in the gospel. That's the first example. The second example is this. We are encouraged to sow right thoughts and right actions. Verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, storytellers in certain genres, particularly fantasy and um, futuristic genres, have long used an array of means to uh, force their characters not just to tell the truth, but to reveal their most intimate thoughts. They use truth serums and machines and invasive devices and invasive creatures. Experiences, so for example, in the 2001 romantic comedy, What Women Want, Mel Gibson's character has an electric shock while he's in the bathtub and discovers later that he can actually hear what women are thinking. Scary thought. This year's film, What Men Want, (laughs) reversed the roles with Sir R.G.B. Henson's character being given a concoction to discover that she can hear what men are actually thinking. Scary. 
aren't we so glad this is just fantasy and not reality? Isn't it a relief that our thoughts are private to us? Can we help what we think? Sometimes unwelcome thoughts come into our heads, don't they? A bit like weeds we haven't planted. But we can sow new thoughts as well. We can sow new thoughts. We can renew our minds through the word of God. We can turn our overgrown, untidy minds into minds that have an order and a beauty about them. But only if we sow in the words of Paul to the Philippians, whatever is true, these, this is what we need to sow, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is what we need to sow in our thought life. Life transformation depends on how we think. You've probably heard the saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So what character do you want to reap? What destiny do you want to reap? Paul uses two words here. He says you can either reap destruction or you can reap eternal life. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And then Paul's third example is that we are encouraged to sow goodness. Verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Like these other things, goodness does not just happen. It has to be sown. And Paul says that there's no field that should be excluded from this seed. Let us do good to all people, Paul says. Not just the nice people, not just the people that do good to us, let us do good to all people. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true friends. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world your best anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Words of Mother Teresa. 
So no field is excluded from the seed of goodness. We must do good to all people. But some fields should get more seed than others because Paul says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we prioritize our natural families, don't we? We have this saying, blood is thicker than water. Family first. Well, whether you like them or not, your fellow believers are your family. And therefore, they are our priority. We do good to all, but especially to the family of believers. And I was just um, reflecting what it would be, what it would look like if we, if a church sowed goodness, if we sowed goodness, if we all sowed goodness in this church, what would it look like? Well, there would be, uh, and I'm not saying these things aren't present, but just, just imagining. There will be unity and humility. People will say nice things about each other behind their backs. There will be forgiveness. There will be patience and tolerance. There won't be in-groups or cliques. Those who need help will be helped. In short, it will reflect what a functional family looks like, not a dysfunctional family. But it won't happen overnight. We reap what we sow, but harvests take time and therefore perseverance is required. Verse nine, let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, and the Greek word there is kairos, which stands for God's appointed time at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, we have so much to be grateful for here at CBC. But the blessings we enjoy didn't just happen overnight. Ken and Sue, for example, have been sowing here for 23 years. And before them, others have sown. And how did someone like Grace, who passed away this week, develop so much fruit of the Holy Spirit. Decades of sowing in prayer and reading God's word and in meditating on God's word and in sharing her faith and in serving. Decades of sowing and sowing to become the person that she was. Harvest take time and perseverance is required. So maybe you're studying, for example, something really hard or maybe something really boring. And you're just starting to wonder, what's the point of it all? Where's it all going to end up? Is it worth carrying on? But at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Or maybe you've been sowing right thoughts and right actions, but you're finding it hard going for whatever reason. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not as evident in your life as you would like it to be. And you're wondering, is this Bible reading making a difference? Is this prayer making a difference? At the proper time, you will reap a harvest. So don't give up. Or maybe you've been involved in some kind of service and it's become a bit of a hard slog. You feel called to do it, but for all of your hard work, there's no 
obvious fruit. But at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Do not give up. Harvests take time. Harvests are inevitable. They are subject to the laws of nature. You will reap something. If you sow nothing, you will reap a field of weeds. You will reap something. So we need to be intentional about what we sow. We need to be careful what we sow. And up to this point, Paul has been dictating his letter. So he's coming to the end now. He just adds a little flourish of his own little greeting in his own handwriting using probably the sprawling, untidy writing of someone who wasn't a scribe by trade. And then he summarizes the whole letter of Galatians in a few verses. We're not going to look at it in detail. But this is broadly what he says. He says, it's not about keeping laws like circumcision. Um, He says that people who are sowing that kind of thought amongst the Galatian Christians are just trying to make themselves look good, like like fine, upstanding Jewish believers. They're playing this ecclesiastical numbers game, just wanting to boost their church statistics. But he says their motives are impure. They don't just want to get into the trouble that comes from being a faithful follower of Jesus. Sorry, they just don't want to get into the trouble that comes with being a faithful follower of Jesus. They make a big song and dance about circumcision because that's a quick once and done thing. But they don't keep the bits of the law law they don't like. And Paul tells them, "Don't don't sow thoughts like that. Don't sow actions like that. Rather, there's one thing and one thing only to make a big song and dance about, the cross of Jesus Christ. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the the world. What matters most is not all of these external things that the Jews do or even whether you do none of those things that the Jews do. What matters most is the transformation that God brings about in your life when you put your trust in him. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Our gospel is an inside out gospel. We work out what Christ works in us through the cross by his Holy Spirit. And we can't boast in what we have achieved any more than the tree can boast in its fruit. But what we can do is sow. That is what we can do. So be careful how you sow. Be careful how you sow. The most important seed to sow is faith in Christ. Have you done that? Have you sown faith in Christ? Are you depending on Christ for your future destiny? Or are you putting your trust in something else? Let me close by reminding you of the key verse, I believe, in this whole letter from chapter 2, verse 16. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. We sow faith in Christ. 
And then beyond that, we do these other things. We sow partnership in the gospel. We sow good thoughts and good actions. We sow service. And if we sow and we are patient and persevering, we will reap a harvest. Because that's the law. The law of the harvest is that all things being equal, we will reap what we sow. I'm going to invite the band to uh, join me. While, we're, while they're getting up on stage, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you first of all for your word and in particular this letter to the Galatians which has been our source of spiritual food and nourishment for so many weeks now. And we've been reminded time and time again that it's not about what we do and about doing things to get your approval but it's about what Christ has done and we access what Christ has done through faith and trust in him. So if we haven't done that this morning already, or if we need to do that again for another reason, just in a moment's pause now, let's do that. And then in these verses we've looked at this morning, we've been reminded that we reap what we sow. So I just want you to imagine prayerfully the kind of person that you want to be. The kind of fruit you want to demonstrate in your life. Imagine the very best version of you that you can imagine. And now prayerfully, what do you need to do What do you need to sow to become that person that God wants you to be? Maybe at this point you're thinking of some of the things that you have sown which haven't been helpful to your spiritual life. So in another um, moment of silence, if there's anything that you need to say sorry to God for and to turn away from, then do that now. Father, forgive us for any wrong thoughts or wrong actions that we have sown, which have borne weeds and uh, unhelpful fruit. Lord, by your grace, we turn away from those things. Lord, by your spirit, energize us, envision us, give us a heart for the people that you want us to be. And then by the power of your Holy Spirit, come and live in us, fill us, and bring forth that fruit that will be to your glory and praise.